Welcome to the Money Mindset Podcast, where you will find the inspiration and motivation you need to manage your money better so you can stress less and live the life you want. This is Ashley with Budgets Made Easy and the Money Mindset Podcast. Today, we are talking to the authors of Stacked, your super serious guide to modern money management. I speak with Joe Salcihai, who is the creator and co-host of the Stacking Benjamins podcast, and Emily Guy Birkin, who is a former temporary tattoo artist, bookseller, English teacher, and current Plutus award-winning freelance writer. So they wrote Stacked, and we are going to talk about all kinds of different topics that are in the book and really, there's even more in the book, <laughs> or this would be like a two-hour episode. Uh, but we talk about budgeting, why people fail at budgets, different budget challenges, how to make it fun, how to get your spouse on board. Like we talk about so many different topics around your finances, and this is just an all-around fun episode. If you've ever listened to Stacking Benjamins, you know that Joe is a lot of fun uh, to listen to and he makes everything fun and interesting as well as their book. So you can check the link to their book in the show notes as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode. All right. I am so excited to have you guys here. Today we are talking with Joe and Emily and we are talking about their new book, Stacked, which really combines fun and finances like it was just <laughs> it's not a boring finance book which i'm sure after this podcast episode you will know by listening to them they are just so much fun to talk to and they make finances fun so we are going to talk about some different topics from their book because it covers every topic that you can imagine a lot of different topics and we don't have time to talk about all of them as good as they all are so we're going to hit the highlights and talk about just kind of their general rules tips and tricks for budgeting paying off debt things to keep in mind with your finances in general and i really want to dive into some of these topics get your guys's opinions and your experiences to just make it easier for people to understand because i feel like based on you know talking to you guys and reading the book that you really make it easy for people to understand while making it fun. So are you guys ready to dive in? Let's yes, do please. it. Thanks. <laughs> thank you, by the way, for having us. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you guys here. This is so much fun for me because I listen to uh, your podcast as well. So this is a lot of fun. Um, and when I was reviewing the book, one of the things that really stuck out to me and I wanted to talk about and kind of get some more information from you guys is comparison because uh, everybody compares themselves to everyone else. And in the book, you say, how am I doing compared to everyone I work with, live near, you know, compete with in fantasy football league, watch on television, <laughs> you know, all the things, because we're constantly comparing ourselves to other. And I do it too. Like in my business, I'm constantly comparing myself to everybody else. And I feel like it's just kind of human nature, but you address that in the book. So I wanted to kind of dive deeper into that topic and maybe what can we do to, kind of work through that because it it is so important because that is a big thing for everybody and their money mindset. Uh, Joe, if you don't mind, I'm going to jump into this one. Um, something I say to my, my kids quite a bit is uh, life is not a buffet. And by that, I mean, when they're saying like, man, I really wish I had that toy that the kid in my class has. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm thinking like, oh man, that friend of mine went on that amazing vacation. Um, 
And in my head, when we're comparing, we're thinking like, if I could have that thing that's in, you know, on their plate on mine, I'd be happy. But the thing is, it's, uh, you can't do that. I mean, for one thing, um, they have not uh, perfected the Freaky Friday uh, technology yet for body <laughs> swapping. So despite my childhood education via movies, there has been no body swaps whatsoever in, in my adulthood. Um, so there is no actual way to take over you know, someone else's life. And then the other thing, the reason why I tell my kids life is not a buffet is Okay, so you could have that if you were that kid, you'd have that toy, but do you want to be that kid? You know, they um, they never have a lunch you like. Or, you know, if I'm thinking of the friend who goes on vacation, I would not want to deal with her in-laws or, you know, any of those things. And so if you start recognizing that when you start comparing things, you are just cherry picking the things that you're comparing. And in general, we'd always choose our own lives over someone else's. We'd choose our own problems over someone else's and recognizing that. And then kind of remembering, you know, like that's just not on my plate right now. That's on the buffet. And I, you know, life is not a buffet. So I'm going to work towards the things that are important to me that I see other people having because jealousy can be a, uh, a good emotion because it can indicate what we're lacking, what we're interested in, in pursuing that we don't currently have without indulging in it um, and, and without making comparison something that eats us up. I am, and, and, and I'm also a fan of comparing where you are with static goals because I think in milestones along the road, because it gives you actually more times to celebrate, right? Mm -hmm. Some of these goals we're trying to achieve. If you're, if you've got a lot of debt, like waiting till you get completely out of debt is so soul crushing for, yes. you know, it's so hard or trying to put your budget together perfectly. And you know, you're going to mess this up. Well, you know, this more than anybody, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to mess it up over and over and over. So celebrating that you did it right three days in a row is a great thing to celebrate. But so I like comparing myself to my goals and what I'm going for. And I think that gives us more joy, but the comparison with other people takes all the joy out, sucks the fun out of it. Because then instead of thinking about what I'm doing, I'm thinking about how I'm trying to be as cool as Ashley and Emily. And it just, <laughs> I'm not, it, it, not, nothing, you know, I hate the word authentic, but it's not authentic. It's not real. It doesn't matter. So I think comparing yourself to set goals is far more empowering. Absolutely. And actually talking about goals, I did want to talk to you about the timeline of your goals that you talk about because it's different than normal goal planning. I was like, oh, that's a really great way to think about it. So how do you um, recommend people create their goals and kind of plan for the future whenever they're talking about their finances? Yeah, this comes from my time as a financial planner. I was a financial planner for 16 years before the last 12 in, in, in more financial media. And during that time, I noticed that when I'd have my clients write down goals, it, nothing really, I don't know, it, we, we, people didn't get inspired. Mm -hmm. we, could, we didn't have these great values conversations. But then I started looking at the human beings and how we think. And most people on earth are visuals. There's three types of people. There are visual people, there are audio people, and there are kinesthetic people. And visual people, you can tell those people because they say things, no matter, even if they're listening to this podcast, they'll go, this looks great. Mm -hmm. Yep, budgeting <laughs> looks fantastic. Like they'll use visual words. Audios go, sounds good to me. And kinesthetic people have to feel it. You know, oh, that feels great. 
So, but most people are visuals and audios and kinesthetics also have lived in a visual based world for so long. Our brain is used to and loves visuals. And we start thinking about things differently when we visualize it. So what I liked, what I started doing was with my clients, I would put a stick figure representing you on one side or you and whoever you're planning with, and then draw a line out over time and put all your goals in, in line on this timeline. And what was weird was Number one, we'd find out that a lot of goals intersected that people never knew. Like I remember one client I met with one time and they said uh, they said they wanted to retire at 55 and they wanted to put their two kids through college. And we realized that their second kid was going to be a sophomore in college at the same time they said they wanted to retire. And they'd never thought about that. And it, and it doesn't mean they couldn't do it, but it brought up this wonderful conversation about if we can't get both of these which one's more important? Is it more important for you to pay 100% of junior school and you retire a little later? Or is it more important for you to retire on time and maybe maybe junior works uh, and earns some money and you start helping junior, you know, figure out how to pay for part of it? Or maybe, maybe we even have a talk about ROI of college. I know a lot of people just go to college because of peer pressure. Like, what does it really mean? And I think when we timeline, we have so many more cool conversations about values and what we really want than we do if we just do the simple goal planning exercise. Absolutely. And I really love that because whenever I was a police officer, you know, we get to retire at 30 years. So you get to retire way earlier than most people. And so that would come up a lot when people would be like, oh, well, if I retire, then my kid's going to be still in high school or college. And so you really have to think about that with your retirement planning. And, you know, if you're still going to retire, how you're going to still pay for it and kind of make that plan. So I really love the idea of like writing it out as a timeline. And I've never thought to do it that way. <laughs> like, I love that idea. It is, it is super fun. And I find that, um, you know, the other thing it does is it gets rid of something that I really don't like, which is people use a lot of rules of thumb or they look for shortcuts. Like, you know, you, you'll hear people that are real money nerds, uh, uh, the, the financial independence, uh, retire early movement people, mm -hmm. which I, which I love that people aggressively trying to do things earlier. They'll use a number like 25 X. If you've heard that, like mm -hmm. if I have 25 times, whatever I'm living on now, that's how much money I need to retire. And you know what, Ashley, that, that does kind of work. It puts you in the ballpark. It's okay. But think about when you use 25X versus putting this goal in writing about what you want and, and visualizing it and saying, you know, retirement's going to be this, it's going to be this, it's going to be this. And you start having these great conversations either internally or with the people you're planning with, a spouse or a friend. You start having these great conversations that you don't have with the rule of thumb. And, and that's where the joy is. So I really don't like the rules of thumb for that reason because it robs you of these cool discussions. Absolutely. And what I really liked about your book was it wasn't um, a bunch of hard and fast rules. Like it, it was, uh, as you described it, a continuum and learning and figuring out what works for you. And so I really liked that aspect of it as well. Um, now with, once you have your goal planning, you know, you got to kind of make it into a realistic plan and the foundation of that is budgeting. So I'm so glad that you brought that up because I'm all about the budgets. Um, and you really touched on the difference between tracking and budgeting. And can you kind of 
go over the difference between the two and kind of the benefits of each. So um, one of the things that we tend to have this problem of we budgeting is one specific thing. You think it's like spreadsheets mm -hmm. and deprivation. Um, and when you talk about budgeting, it's kind of this um, idea that people don't really know what it is. They know that you're supposed to track what you spend and, you know, maybe that's a budget. And it doesn't help that we have all these wonderful new fintech apps and mm -hmm. they are great, but uh, what they do is they'll track your, your spending for you. And so you'll have this great color-coded chart of all the ways that you've spent and you're not actually doing anything with that information. And you might think you have a budget because you have that. Yep. So making sure that um, that our readers understand the difference between tracking your expenses, which is just keeping an eye on what it is your money's doing. And that's one of the things that FinTech is great for because um, other than certain individuals like myself, because I am very weird, most people do not like to track their expenses. <laughs> for me, that sounds like a wonderful Saturday night. Just pour me a glass of wine and I'm good. <laughs> I recognize that I'm not like most people. Um, and then the budgeting comes in where you are using that information where you tracked and looking forward saying like, okay, so I spent this much on groceries last month. Um, and is that an appropriate amount that I spent on groceries? Was it way too much? Was it way too little? And I, you know, gave myself scurvy. What, what do I need to do for the upcoming month? <laughs> and so, um, so these are the things that, uh, that you know, it can be very difficult to wrap one's head around if you're not um, someone who was raised to, to, to budget, if you've never learned how to budget. And all you know of it is like the, you know, carry a book around and, and, and uh, write down what you're tracking, which sounds just miserable to most people. Mm -hmm. Or um, if, if uh, all you know of it is uh, it just means you can't eat that you can't pay pay for that you can't do anything fun you're you're eating beans and rice forever mm -hmm. uh so making sure that people are very clear on the fact that tracking and budgeting are two different things and uh they're all very much attainable by the most normal of people yeah. absolutely yeah, you know what's funny? Emily's got this awesome story about Thomas Jefferson in in the book and how Thomas Jefferson, Ashley, this this dude, she calls him Tommy J, by the way, because we're buds with the, yeah, with the Tom. I, yeah, me and with Tom, the Tom, we Tom. Go way yeah. back. Yes. Well, the, but, but they kind of do something. They love tracking their money. But the difference between Emily and 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 Tommy J is that Tom, Thomas Jefferson tracked every penny that he spent and he was broke as all get out. Like he was, he was totally completely broke, but he, but he, but he tracked every dollar. And that's like people today. I think the analogy is you ask people, if they have the budget. They're like, Oh yeah, I got mint on my phone. Like I've never opened up my phone. I don't, <laughs> I don't look at mint, but I checked that box because I got it. And that's not, that's that tracking is not the same thing as budgeting. And there's lots of different ways to budget, you know, I mean, well, you know, that far better than we do, Ashley, there's lots of cool ways to, to set up an effective budget. Absolutely. And it is so important to have both. And I'm glad that you kind of differentiate the two because a lot of people do think that, oh, well, I have this app. It shows me where my money's going. But, you know, like we said, it's not the same as creating a budget. So a budget is 
you know, preparing and making a plan for your future spending where tracking is tracking your past spending. So I love that you kind of touch on the difference of that. Um, and you know, you talk about in the book as well, like why people fail at budget. So, um, why do you think that people, if they even create a budget, which can be a struggle to begin with, but then sticking to it is like a whole nother ball game. (laughs) So why do you think people fail at budgets? Um, well, I, I, there's a, there's a couple of reasons. One of them is that we tend to think of budgeting as a once and done thing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I tell people, no, budgeting is a little bit more like laundry. Um, like I have this joke with my husband every week. I say, surely I should be coming to the end of the laundry by now. Like I've been doing it for 30 years. Surely I should be so close to done now. Um, and that's how we need to, to recognize what budgeting is. It is, it is an ongoing process that you're never going to be done. And uh, that for some people that may sound like, you know, the hand of doom. Yeah, you may have scared some people off. (laughs) Um, But that is why it's so important to find something that you can do sustainably. Um, In the same way, like you find a way to do your laundry sustainably, um, because it's just a, 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 you non-negotiable part of being, uh, you know, a grown up is you have to find a way to have clean clothes. Um, and so you could go do a boom and bust cycle where, you know, you, you, you're practically naked until <laughs> when you, when you have to do laundry and then you're swimming in it. Um, or, you know, you could find a way to do it and find a way to enjoy it even. Um, and so that's what I, I, I recommend that people do is since this is going to be an ongoing chore, don't make it the hand of doom, figure out something that will make it enjoyable. Figure out a way that it fits into your psychology, figure out what it is that you can find to like about it. And, uh, you know, Mary Poppins was onto something spoonful of sugar, you know, I'm not entirely kidding about, you know, having a glass of wine while I do my money stuff. Um, if you find something that you can pair doing your, your, uh, your budgeting with, um, so, uh, Joe talks about sometimes he'll, uh, he'll have pancakes with his wife, um, for over their budget meeting, uh, that can be really helpful. And then that's actually Joe and his wife, um, really, uh, are a good example of how to handle the other place where, where budgeting can fail. And that's when you're trying to budget with someone else mm-hmm. and it's not working. Yeah. I think there's a few problems. And the first one, I think Emily totally nailed it. And that's actually that we think we got to be perfect at first. Mm-hmm. And I think if you go into your budget, realizing you're going to get it wrong and you're going to have to tweak it to be, to work for you. Um, I think that's, I think that's the place to start is to realize this isn't going to work out the gate and I have to customize it so that it does what I want it to do. So if you go into it with an expectation that you're going to be perfect, it doesn't work. You're likely to go, Oh, didn't work. I'm done. Mm -hmm. But if you go in with the expectation that I'm going to have to keep tweaking, you're much more likely to go, Oh yeah. Okay. I made a mistake. Where did I fail? Tweak this. And, and I'm off and running. And for us to Emily's point, communication was far more important than what app we use, what spreadsheet we use, what, what program we use that we, we had a real problem, Cheryl, my spouse and I, and that is that we used to come home on the same day and both of us would come home with things that were very important to the family. Cheryl would come home with like our kids' school clothes and I would come home with the latest video game and both of them super important, right? (laughs) 
and we and we would have and we would then get in this argument because there wasn't enough money for both and hey it was the day the game was out and i really wanted it and who cares about school clothes so we 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 would have these issues because we just wouldn't talk about what our priorities were that week and and our budget meeting is every week and like emily said it's either over pancakes or wine depending on the time of day we limit it it's got to be 20 minutes or less or we're not doing it it isn't going to be longer than 20 minutes because we want to make it fun and then we just all we do is this we review all the expenses we had the week before and then we talk about the expenses we have coming up the next week and then tw- any big things going on, like, oh, we got something about our homeowner's insurance last week and the rate's going up. Well, it's probably time for us to, 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 to look around. Last week, our conversation was all about, I went to the grocery store, spent 170 bucks on groceries, and I felt like I got nothing. Like inflation at the mm-hmm. grocery store lately has been hell. Uh-huh. And so we started talking through our food budget and how much food we kind of waste, you know, and how to, how to lock that down. So we don't waste so much food. So, and, and, and they were really fun, but I'll tell you, not only is that meeting fun, but if we have the meeting, which I'd say we do four out of every five weeks, we'll have the meeting during those weeks. We continue to have these organic discussions about money all week long. We, we talk about which really are discussions about our goals, what's coming up, what are the big picture things. So we start this dialogue that's much more than that 20 minute meeting. When we miss it, we don't talk about money between those meetings. And guess what? That's when we end up in trouble again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, overspend and things like that. And you do also share in the book, like some of the different ways that your family would make saving money fun, like different budget challenges. And then you had a electricity game that you did with your family. And, <laughs> and can you tell us about that? Cause I thought that was really fun. My, my, uh, I would come home from work and, uh, my twelve twins and they were at the time about eight years old when we did this and I would come home from work and the, you know, it's like 55 degrees outside, the doors are open and we're, so we're heating the universe <laughs> and every light in the house is on. My house is like Disneyland. We had three televisions. They're all on. Guess how many people are watching them? Zero, right? Nobody's yep. watching them. So I started off with the, with the, the dad move, which is, you know, get angry, yell, threaten, cajole, beg, plead, all this stuff. None of that worked. What worked was when we created a game. And what's funny about this is it, it was a game with no prize. Like I, we, we, there was, there was no, no prize except lowering the electric bill for all of us. And at the time it used to be that the electric bill would come in the mail once a month. So this is how old my, my kids are 26 now and they were eight. So that gives you an idea. But, but, but we took out some graph paper and every month we would graph where we were versus the month before. And it became this electricity limbo, electricity Jumanji, you know, like how do we, how do we get this thing low? And we went from me begging people to save money and turn off the TV to, I would leave the room for a second to go like refill my water. And I'd come back and my daughter's turned off the TV and she's like, dad, you got to turn the TV off when you're not using it. (laughs) 
I got to try this in my house because, you know, when I come home, my husband has every light on, literally the TV's on. He's outside, like at the shop. Every light's on down there. I'm like, what is happening? Like, why is everything on all the time? So I feel your pain. I thought, I was like, oh, I don't know if that'll work on my family, but I might have to try that. Well, we learned, and there's actually a bigger thing here, Ashley, which is, you know, some of these fintech apps are really knocking it out of the park, so to speak, because they're, they're gamifying things, right? Mm-hmm. They're making it fun and interesting. And the more you can think with your family, how do I make this fun and interesting, the more likely they are to do the serious things like saving money on your electric bill or, or, you know, looking more often at your budget or whatever it is. In fact, that's actually the same method we use to set up this book. This book was designed as because of my love in fourth grade when I was a big fan of the Hardy Boys and I, I, I my brother and I carried around the Hardy Boys detective manual everywhere. <laughs> so as a, as a police officer, you, you'd love that one. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we would carry this thing all over the place and we learned everything. And it was written with the help of a real retired FBI agent. And so my dad would leave in the morning and, uh, and he'd have tire tracks going out on a muddy day and we'd go analyze the tire tracks or my mom would touch a, she'd touch a door handle and we'd immediately be over there with some tape to get her fingerprint, you know, <laughs> cause you can't, you don't know where mom's been, mm-hmm. but then <laughs> But then my mom at age 50, my mom finally gave me the crap she had out of the attic. Uh, you know, like oh, Joe's like father, mm-hmm. son, bowling, you know, sixth place trophy. And, but in this box of stuff was the Cub Scout wolf guide and the Cub Scouts were fantastic at gamifying things. So when you do Cub Scout achievements, and this is the same, I'm sure with brownies and girl Scouts, you start off with, you know, every chapter is tools you're going to need or every achievement tools you're going to need. They succinctly tell you how to do it. At the bottom, they have all these things that you X off to prove that you're competent, that you did the things. And then there's a place for your mom to sign it at the bottom. And so, which by the way, is exactly what we do in Stacked. Every single chapter (laughs) follows the next one, which by the way, just to complete this little long story, this was the same thing we, Emily and I told people as we were going from publisher to publisher and we're pitching the idea of the book. And we'd always end with, so it's the Cub Scout Wolf Guide and the Hardy Boys Detective Manual, but for adults and about money. What do you think? <laughs> it worked out for you. So <laughs> it, it, it did, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, we were just surprised they didn't like laugh us out of the room. No, they they probably just waited. No, <laughs> I'm That's kidding. Right. I'm kidding. That's right. Yeah. But you're right. Making it a challenge and making it fun, having even, you know, apparently it worked for your family without even having a prize at the end. But if you can have a prize or, you know, something that you're working towards, it does make it easier for everybody to buy into it as well. And the same goes for like paying off debt. So I always encourage people to set smaller milestones and celebrate those wins, just like you said at the beginning, um, so that you don't burn out. But, you know, people always got to ask, you know, what is your preferred way to pay off debt? Um, You know, and if you should pay off your mortgage early and all those kinds of things. So how do you guys personally, um, what are your views on debt? If you should pay it off early, if there's a specific method um, and things like that. So for me, um, my feeling on paying off debt is you should do whatever process is going to work best for you. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of talk about the, um, 
snowball method, which is where you put your debts in order from uh, smallest balance to largest balance. Uh, and you, you start, you know, methodically paying things off. And as you pay the smallest balance off, you uh, move that uh, payment into the next smallest. And so you rack up small wins quickly. And that is very psychologically motivating for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're more mathematically inclined and you're sitting there going, but that does, that doesn't maximize things for in terms of how much you're paying in uh, um, uh, paying in, in interest, you know, you should prioritize the things that high, have higher interest rates, uh, in which case you do the avalanche method, which is you order your, your uh, debts uh, in order of whatever you're paying the highest interest on down. And uh, that is going to have fewer of those early psychological wins, but you can kind of, you know, laugh all the way to, uh, um, to well, to the bank um, every time. Cause you're like, ha ha ha, they're not going to get any extra um, uh, interest out of me. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and so whether you are someone who needs those psychological wins or you need to be incredibly petty, <laughs> <laughs> Whichever one is going to motivate you, you lean into it and enjoy it. Have fun with it. Be petty as all get out. You know, like you're not getting an extra penny out of me, Sally Mae. (laughs) So I I feel that that is is what's going to be most important for however you handle um, debt payoff because debt payoff is a slog. Um, It's not something that you can do overnight. It's not something that, um, you know, you can do through sheer willpower alone. Uh, So having, knowing that you have a process that you feel confident about that fits with your psychology, that is really what's going to be um, uh, best for you. And then I I feel the same way about whether or not to pay off a mortgage early. Um, It's one of those things where there are really reasonable arguments for doing it either way. Um, There's very reasonable arguments for deciding to pay it off early. There's reasonable arguments for um, letting, you know, just staying the course with the 30 year mortgage that you signed up for. And so it's up to uh, the, the person uh, themselves to figure out what's going to make the most sense for them. What's going to work best in their psychology, what is going to motivate them most. uh, And that is going to be much better than any personal finance experts saying like, you have to do it this way. Yeah. That's, that that is really the key. There's a lot of know yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you do talk about in the book, um, kind of comparing for just paying off your mortgage early to versus like investing. Cause that comes up a lot too. And my husband and I have, you know, talked about that as well. Like, should we pay off the mortgage or should we invest more? And, you know, for us, we've really done the math and just talked about like our risk tolerance and things like that and decided not to pay the mortgage off early because we would rather have that money for other things and invest and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what's funny is when I was a, when I was a financial planner, I would, I would sometimes recommend that to people. And we had a few clients that got to the point that they had enough money set aside in a fund that was growing faster than that mortgage was going, was being paid down because they were earning more interest than what the mortgage was. So they had enough money to pay it off. Guess how many people then paid it off, Ashley? Zero. 
Zero. Yeah. Zero. Yeah, I can't imagine taking it out and paying it off. I was like, no, I can't do that. I could. What do was it. what? What ended up being hugely important to these people was having the ability to do it whenever they wanted, mm -hmm. much more than actually doing it. Knowing that they had that trigger and they could do it whenever they wanted was so empowering. And in some places, what they would do is they would set up an automatic uh, transfer from their investments. It, from their that that pile of investments to pay out to pay the monthly uh bill on the mortgage so that they just didn't have to do it anymore so once they got to that point that they were equal they would have the pile of money pay the mortgage every month and the pile of money kept growing faster while the mortgage was getting paid down it was awesome oh i love that i didn't even know that you could do that that's yeah, awesome super I'm gonna fun. Have to remember that yeah, <laughs> yeah. super fun and that really boils down to like your mindset and your um risk tolerance and really like you said once you get to that point and you realize you have the money that you could do it you're more likely to not do it because the investments are growing so uh so much faster but that really does hone in on the mindsets and the important um role that those play with our money and overcoming you know the cost of fear like you talk about in the book can you kind of go over those mindsets that can hold us back with our money and make us do things that maybe we aren't in our best interests. Uh, yeah. So a, one of the things that um, we don't necessarily recognize about money is uh, just how psychological it is. Um, one of the things that I, I like to say is that, you know, money doesn't actually exist. It's this delusion that we all share together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's really hard to think of that, but you know, you can't, you can't wear money. You can't eat money. You can't build shelter out of money and you can't even spend money outside of where it is legally recognized as tender. So uh, that's, um, that means that because it is not this, you know, fact of nature, we put our own viewpoints on what money is. So we put our moral judgments on it, we put our uh, psychological judgments on it. Um, and so what we end up doing is we make emotional decisions when we need to be making financial ones. And so that can really cost you, um, you know, if you are looking at things from a scarcity mindset, like you're afraid of losing money, um, that can often end up meaning that you lose out um, a lot more than if you were willing to take some risks. Because you know, for instance, if you end up only investing in things that uh, feel secure to you, you could lose uh, buying power due to inflation. So, you know, you don't lose principal, no, but uh, that doesn't mean that the money is still worth the same at the end when you could be making your life a lot easier by investing in things that have a little more volatility and give you the opportunity for growth. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about. They, they look at it as like, well, keeping the principle is good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maintaining my principle is good. They, and they don't really necessarily wrap their head around the fact that uh, there are a lot of moving parts to all of this. And, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to avoid is something that you may be walking into because of how hard you're trying to avoid it. You know, our mindsets do play an important role in how we manage our money. And um, I think studies have even shown like 80%, maybe even more, um, of how and what you do is based on your mindset instead of like practical, mm -hmm. logical knowledge. And really with, whenever I would teach um, women's self-defense class, whenever I was a police officer, 
we were taught that 95% of actual physical defense is mental. So it's, oh, wow. you know, it's preparing, mm-hmm. it's um, preparing mentally, visualizing, having a plan. And the same is really true for your money because it's the same idea. Yeah. You're making a plan and then what you need to do if something happens, you know, something bad, something good, whatever. But it's all that kind of mental preparation ahead of time is really mm-hmm. the biggest factor in your success, whether it's physical defense or with your finances as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And some of those, and that's, go ahead, Emily. Oh, um, well, and that's one of the things that I think is also really, um, helpful is, um, you know, in in comparing it to, to, um, self-defense, um, is, uh, the way that we react to things, mm-hmm. um, maybe a disordered reaction, uh, um, one that is not going to lead to, you know, better safety. So like gut fight, flight, uh, freeze and fawn, mm-hmm. um, of, for, in, in terms of physical safety, but I'm thinking in terms of, of money, you know, if you lose your job and immediately go on a shopping spree on Amazon, um, you're doing that for, a legitimate emotional reason, which is that you need to feel a little better about what happened to you. And, you know, you go into whatever it is that you're, you're, you're likely to do. So, you know, for me, I, I'm likely to freeze in a, in a um, difficult situation. And so I have to train myself not to do that. Um, and so same thing with, uh, with financial stuff, the, there is a true emotional issue that, that needs to be solved. And so if you recognize that and feel that and say like, okay, this is, you know, I'm, I feel bad because I lost my job. What can I do to feel better that doesn't involve spending money? then you can actually make um, a an intentional decision instead of just following your instincts. Absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah, and people suffer from two different basic instincts, um, uh, I think. One is that we use snap judgments a lot like we mm-hmm. like we 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 just fire right away without actually thinking about things or we, we suffer from analysis paralysis where we never make a decision because there's so many great options and i'm not sure which one it is and if i just take a little more time maybe i'll then make make a better decision and i think that no once again knowing yourself am i somebody that that makes too many snap decisions and putting some things in your way to make sure that you actually actually uh weigh the cost benefit first uh is important while on the other side you know realizing that that hey i give myself a deadline you know i'm going to decide this by tomorrow at noon and whatever I do. And you know, it was a great way, by the way, for people that had analysis paralysis when I was an advisor, a great way to get people off the fence was to flip a coin. And I'm not kidding. I would, I would flip, I'd say, okay, heads, heads, you buy the cottage, tails, you don't. And, <laughs> and they're like, really? And I go, yeah, yeah, let's they're do like, it. Cause yeah, because you guys can't decide. You have the money. You've told me you want it. It seems valuable, but you're hemming and hawing. So let's 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 flip a coin and it, it will go it up with whatever it says. And and they'd say deal. Usually they would say deal. And I'd flip the coin and I would not show it to them. And I'd say, which one do you hope that it is? And every stinking time while that coin was in the air, they made their decision, which one they were hoping for. Every time without fail that flipping the coin and never looking at it was like the best way to help people move. 
That's awesome. I'm going to have to try that because I do suffer with that from time to time. I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. And so it's like, well, I have to make the right decision, you know, or I can't make a decision at all. Yes, I'm going to yeah. have to try that. Just flip a coin. <laughs> I had a, I had a coach recently tell me, by the way, another thing that, that, that really works, which is he, he calls it the 80% rule. And the 80% rule is go in hoping to, to get it 80% done, like get it to 80%. And what you and I know is if you just go in and just start instead of trying to make it perfect and your goal is 80% good, you're going to make it hundred percent good. And mm -hmm. it's, it works with me every time. Once I calmed down and started using his 80% rule, that was great. Yeah, that's awesome. I haven't heard of that. So I'll have to um, dig into that a little bit more too. Um, so, you know, I really appreciate your guys' time with me tonight. And I want to kind of leave off with maybe your number one or best financial tip, advice, whatever you want people to walk away with this episode knowing. Emily? Um, yeah. So I, one thing that I would love for people to know um, is uh, people think, that you're either good with money or bad with money. And I think that that is, um, that's, it's an incorrect binary um, because everyone has strengths and weaknesses um, in the same way that um, you might be able to describe someone as a good driver, but does that mean they can handle driving in Rome or in, uh, in England on, the, on the, the, the wrong side of the road or, you know, a semi-truck or, a, you know, pilot a plane. So, you know, recognize the things that you do well uh, um, with money, even if you don't consider it as being quote unquote good with money. Like maybe you are um, an expert at, um, you know, making sure your coupons um, uh, help your, your grocery budget stretch. Um, maybe you're really good at, you know, finding money where you didn't expect to. I mean, whatever it is, that is, you know, something that you're good at in the same way that, you know, you can, um, I'm just trying to think of a, like, you can navigate your small hometown, like nobody's business, um, even though you don't necessarily, and, and consider yourself a good driver, even though you would feel a little bit panicked if you were driving New York city. So those are the sorts of things that I, I wish people would recognize that this is a skill that you can be improving upon for life and that it is not a good, bad binary. And you, um, you can lean into the things you're good at. Absolutely. Joe. You know, I was reading a, a a great study by a group called Nonfiction um, recently. It's called The Secret Financial Lives of Americans. And it showed that uh, 150 million Americans report that they ha cry, either cry or have cried about their money. Mm. And you would think that that's people usually living paycheck to paycheck or, and I was there early on in my life where I didn't know where the next, you know, the next meal was going to come from sometimes, but it's not just that there were tons of people making over $250,000 a year that reported crying about their money. And it's funny when people think about money management, they think, well, well, what's hot? What's new? Like, talk to me about this, you know, the sexy stuff around, around mm -hmm. money. But that's not what people are crying about, Ashley. I, you know, they're, they're not crying about central bank digital currency maybe becoming more of a thing in our life next year. Like, that's the hot <laughs> stuff, right? Or, or what the hot NFT is. People don't cry about that. They cry because they don't understand it. They feel frustrated. They feel overwhelmed. And I think that by taking it, taking some of that pressure off, which is what 
I think Emily and I really set out to do with this project. And I encourage everybody to take a little bit of pressure off yourself, relax, realize you're going to mess it up like we did, and, mm -hmm. but you'll get back on. And, and like Emily said, very eloquently, you, you can do this. Absolutely. And everybody seems to think that everybody else is better with money than they are. But in reality, mm -hmm. most people are having the same thoughts and struggles. And it doesn't matter how much money they make. Like we're all uh, making mistakes with money. I still make mistakes with money. I mean, come on, everybody mm -hmm. makes mistakes. So I think it's important oh, I never to do. remember that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you're perfect. <laughs> you know, and just remember that everybody screws up and you just have to keep going. And that's what really leads to long-term success is just to keep chugging along. Amen. Consistency. It's, that's the, the key. Absolutely. Now, I do always like to ask my guests what your favorite nonfiction book is. And I know you we've talked about your book, but, you know, we can tell you can tell us it's your book or if you have another <laughs> book that you really like uh, to just let the readers know, like, you know, how to improve their lives a little bit more. Joe. Oh, oh <laughs> call it on me. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to let Emily go first and then say ditto. That was my whole goal. <laughs> Damn it. Um, no, you know what? A book that really, it was incredibly surprising for me uh, when it comes to money management was a book called Happy Money. And I love, I love, 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 love the idea of happy money. It's, it's a, a guy named Ken Honda wrote it. Uh, they call him in Japan, by the way, the Marie Kondo of personal finance. And, and I love his book because, it, and, and it resonates with me because of the fact that it's all about gratitude. And it's about, you know, when you have a lot of debt, feeling gratitude that these institutions actually trust you, that you're going to pay them back. I mean, what an honor that, that these companies have given you this money and trusted that you're going to pay them back with it. And even so, no matter where you're at in your, in your journey, having gratitude leads to abundance. And that just, that speaks to me in that book. I, I, I devoured that book. So happy money by Ken Honda is a good one. Love that. Emily. So um, I am an avid reader, so it's always hard to pick just one, yeah. but um, <laughs> one that, uh, that really stuck with me was a book called Scarcity by uh, Sindel Malanathan and Eldar Shafir. Um, and that book is about the way that um, not having enough of, of a resource that's necessary changes the way we look at the world and even changes our brain. And so, and it's, uh, they look at financial scarcity um, as, as something that they do throughout the book, but they also talk about how time scarcity and food scarcity can affect the way that, uh, that you look at the world. And one of the reasons why I found it so compelling was because I completely understood um, and could relate to what they were talking about, time scarcity. Um, and But I've been very, very lucky and very privileged that I have not experienced the kind of financial scarcity that they um, were looking at. Uh, and so it allowed me to be very empathetic and, and understanding of how the things that I might take for granted could be truly life-changing for someone who has a different um, 
uh, amount in their life and how this um, the issue of scarcity is something that can um, have long lasting effects long after when you finally do get enough of whatever it is you're lacking. And uh, it's just an amazing book and, and um, really well written and lots and lots of uh, wonderful um, um, uh, references to, to a number of different studies. I got to read that. Yeah, me too. I haven't heard you. of that one. It's a no. it's a new one. I'll add it to my list. <laughs> Actually, I got one more. Okay. I got one more. The Hardy Boys Detective Manual. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, maybe maybe my kids will read that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys uh, being with us tonight. And can you tell us where um, people can follow up with you, or maybe learn more about you, or your Emily? book and your book? Yeah. Where we can get your book. <laughs> Uh, so you can find Stacked, your super serious guide to modern money management, uh, anywhere books are sold. Uh, that includes Amazon, um, Bookshop, any of those, any of your favorite places to get books. Uh, you can find me at my website, emilyguyberkin.com. Uh, you can also come say hi to me on Twitter, which I'm on way too much. Um, <laughs> me too. <laughs> handle is at Emily Guy Birkin. <laughs> And, and you will find uh, me at stackybenjamins.com and the Stacking Benjamin Show every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We're the, the, uh, we, we call it the greatest money show on earth because it is a circus. Every, <laughs> every, every episode's a new circus. So we have fun. It is fun to listen to. So thank you guys so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to Joe and Emily for being with us today and talking about their new book. Of course, the link to their new book is in the show notes. And if you love this episode, I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a five-star review and make sure that you are um, following the podcast so you automatically get all the new episodes every week. And I will see you next week. <laughs>